Gregoire and Dan Bisson are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 56 of Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. Gregoire, are you there? Come in, Gregoire. I am here. We are not in the same room. We are distant from each other. I have interrupted you in the uh, the, the quagmire of study. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. I am trying to write a project on the best way to deflect the asteroid Apophis from hitting Earth if it ever was discovered to be hitting Earth, which it has not been discovered that it's hitting Earth. But something will one day. I'm that guy. Well, I'm not probably not the only guy, but I'm one of the guys who seem to be writing projects about it. Ah, interstellar Very eight exciting. ball? Uh, interstellar white ball, I should say? Well, I'll, I'll, for anyone doing the same same project anytime soon, I'm actually going for gravity tractoring. That's what I'm going for. Oh, that's boring. It is a bit boring, yeah. Putting a, putting a heavy object next to the asteroid and for 10 years letting it just pull its gravitation oh away. Oh, that sounds no. like the most boring experiment experiment in the universe <laughs> it pretty much is unless you get it wrong and suddenly it becomes the most exciting experiment in the universe when a 400 meter across rock hits you at 20 kilometers a second that would make a hell of a crater so something like 14 kilometers across Jeez, uh, why not that... just put set up a pitch drop experiment on it oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's i'm glad that got exciting the pitch drop experiment is kind of exciting when, it still when, hasn't when, dropped yet has it one dropped not the one not the one in the university of queensland that still hasn't dropped uh, but the right. uh, there was another one that recently did drop that that stole their thunder so it's actually been recorded now they've actually recorded oh wow on a camera so uh, you know it dropped like pitch that's exciting for people who love pitch you can now get off all your fetishes that you've been waiting for for decades. They should make a movie about it. Pitch Pitch Black? No, wait. Uh, I don't know. Uh, come up with the name after the pitch. Ah, very good, very good. Yay. Now, speaking of things which would be kind of boring but still kind of exciting to do. Welcome I to s- Smart Enough to Know Better. <laughs> I saw a little article from the Mars Society today. They're actually looking for volunteers. You have to be a scientist uh, someone who's into geology or geochemistry, microbiology, biochemistry, or paleontology, and they want to put four to six people in the Flashline Mars Arctic Research Station, and you'll be there for a year, locked inside on Devon Island in northern Canada, and you'll be able to live there as if you were living on Mars for one whole year. Paleontology, so, that's optimistic of them. Well, <laughs> well, I think, yeah. Martian dinosaurs. <laughs> now, that would be awesome. Well, we just put a picture on, on Twitter about that, the, uh, the Mars rover fighting a dinosaur on Mars. Yeah. Very exciting. You should go and look at that, everyone, at at it's, it's Greg's favourite thing and my favourite thing, warring. <laughs> With a laser. With a very crappy laser. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested in that, get on board, ladies and gentlemen, for the Mars Society, because they're going to be looking for people to actually start getting this ball rolling and getting us off this rock onto another slightly drier and slightly more arid rock. <laughs> uh, sell it, Greg, sell it. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. David Hawkes. He is a very clever fellow who works at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. Welcome, David. Hi. Um, yeah, just go with Dave is more than fine. <sighs> wow. First cab off the rank and you've already called him the wrong name. It's uh, Dave, not David. Oh, no. You're too uh, formal, I'm Greg. way too formal. I just, and I've, I've got a butler with a, with a glass of sherry for him and everything. Oh, I don't, oh, no. No, <laughs> I'm more likely to go for the, uh, the the nice cold beer in the esky out of the back of the barbecue, thanks. But uh, oh. thanks for the offer. It's, it's good that you're oh. the sort of guys who will actually get out of the bath to take a dump. 
<laughs> we we will do that. That's um that's um all evident. Yeah, no, I good. Uh, Dave, so what do you actually do? Because that's a pretty exciting place to work at, the Flory Institute. That's kind of that's, that's up there. That's that's something. That's not just you know messing around. We we work on neuroscience, so that's everything from Alzheimer's disease to understanding how the brain works to. Mm. Pretty much everything in between multiple sclerosis, stroke, eating and sleeping disorders, all of that sort of covered by the Flory. It's actually the largest neuroscience institute in the Southern Hemisphere, and it's one of the top 10 in the world. However, I, I, I sometimes feel like a bit of a fraud. I'm, I only became a neuroscientist about four years ago. I actually got my PhD in HIV. So I'm actually a virologist, and uh, which means I, I sort of I work with viruses. Mm-hmm. And right now, a whole bunch of people are probably having images of mad cow disease or, or something <laughs> something similar. But what Man I do viruses, is... they're prions. Prion. Well done, Dan. Nicely done. Excellent. Two points. Yeah, um, on the board. Dan's ahead in this interview. Oh, no. I know it's a podcast, but can the audience win this? Because I'm, I'm going to put my money on them. Um, they can. They can. They're I, dumb. I, they're I, dumb as No, posts. they're not. I, no, no, Dan, we say we talked about it. We don't, they don't yell at the audience. They're lovely people. They're dumb. No, they're not dumb. Anyway, I think the audience can definitely win. They think they win every time they listen to the podcast. Maybe a participation award. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sakes. All right. So, so, you, so you actually work with HIV. That's a, as, in, as in curing it or just understanding it or in what way was, was your PhD HIV related? You know, when you talk about HIV and AIDS, you, you go from the person who's treating somebody in a clinic all the way down to the person that's trying to understand the molecular structure of the virus. Mm. And I was about as far up the molecular side of the, the virus as possible. I didn't even deal with cells. What we found out was with HIV, if you imagine HIV is like a soccer ball mm-hmm. and you weigh it, 15% of that is actually cholesterol. Ugh. And you think of the cholesterol as it makes up the, the shell of the virus, so like the, the leather of the soccer ball. And if you remove all of it, it obviously the ball pops and all the goodness comes out and the virus is non-infectious. Mm. However, if you remove part of the cholesterol, you still end up with a shell but the virus can't actually cause disease. And what I found in my PhD was this was because, back to your soccer ball, you know how there's always that one square that has the dot where you actually inflate yep, it? Yep, yep, yep. Where you put the little yep. spiky thing in, yep. yes. And then you, you put it yep. in, and then you remember you were supposed to lick it first, and then you realise that you've damaged it. I didn't think it was that kind of podcast. Um, <laughs> so... Where the, the other part of the ball is you'll have like the label, whether it'll be you know, Nike or Adidas or, or whoever it was. Yes. Now, for the, for the virus to get in, what it needs to do is it needs to, that ball needs to touch a cell mm. and then that square that has the logo and the square that has the hole, they need to move around the virus so that they go together. And this tells the cell that the virus is going to infect it and to mm. get ready. Now, when you remove the cholesterol, it sort of, it clogs up those squares on the on the soccer ball, so right. the square with the label can't get to the square with the little hole in it. Yeah. So the virus can stick to the cell. It can even sort of do some of the first stages, but it can't actually infect it. So it's sitting there going, hey, hey, let me in. I've got the codes. And it's like, nah, go away. And it's like, come on, come on. you got to come to the left. I can't get to the left. Well, you're not coming in then. The door's here. Son of a monkey, that, that sort of thing. It just, won't, it just sits there looking confused and hanging on the side. Pretty, that's, that's a reasonable, uh, reasonable shot at it. Woo, two, two points. points. Yes, I've caught up to Dan. Yeah. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. That's what I like to see. I just, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, so, that, so it, it, just, it just sort of launches it. Because viruses, I, I don't know what HIV actually looks like, but I've sort of seen pictures of viruses, and sometimes they kind of look like rocket ships. That's just kind of long, and they've left. 
legs and they look really weird. Like they, not what you thought of, you think it's like a ball or something, but it's actually kind of a long elongated thing. Is that sort of what yeah. HIV looks like? The ones you're thinking about, I think, are generally bacteriophages, and oh, they're crap. actually a virus that infects <laughs> bacteria. No, it's it's still a virus. Oh, good. So you're still going right. But <laughs> HIV and things like hepatitis C, mm. Ebola, Marburg, the flu, mm-hmm. all of those actually have a really similar structure, and it's a ball structure. And mm. again, they have one of those membranes, which is like the leather of a soccer ball. So all oh. of them are balls, and they're in... all of them are balls. I agree. <laughs> so so a virus is about a hundred hundred and fifty nanometers across. Mm. So a nanometer is one one thousandth of a micrometer, which That's... is one one thousandth of a millimeter. It's a, so it's a, it's a billionth of a meter, basically. It's one by ten to the negative nine. Is that right? Yes. Uh, it's, it's one by ten to the seven because it's a hundred. Ah, crap. 100 oh, I was out. Oh. Negative ten points. Oh, no, hey, hey, you don't get to choose the points here. <laughs> it's not IQ, QI. We're not doing QI here, so it's not allowed. Anyway, okay, so it's very, 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 very small. Yes, it is very small. So <laughs> so that's a virus, and that's sort of a lot of them look look like balls, and, and yeah. that's sort of... I, you, you mentioned the interest in vaccination. I guess mm. the vaccination mm. most people have contact with is the flu. Yes, And the question I get a lot, because I'm on Twitter a lot, is that why do we have to get a flu vaccine every year? Can I have a guess at this? I work with kids, so I have to get it quite every year. And it's because the virus changes shape. It's basically, it's evolving. It's sort of doing something interesting and weird. And it's going to a brand new shape all the time. Is that sort of right? Pretty much. It's it's evolution. Oh, okay. It's easy to think about in terms of antibiotics and bacteria, because... Mm. We, we have a lot of antibiotics, and antibiotics don't work on viruses. So if you've mm. got the flu and someone tries to give you antibiotics, then you don't have the flu. Mm. Or, um, a do- or a real doctor. Yeah, that's right. Or, it was, or, it was yeah, once pointed out to me that, that if you take a if you have a nice warm bath and you put some bacteria in it and you come back a couple of days later, you're going to have like a bath full of bacteria. But if you take a, a nice warm bath and you put a virus in there and come back a couple of days, you've got nothing. Because a virus needs to hijack a living cell to make more of itself. Absolutely. And you think about it as like going to vaccinations. Do you have the smallpox vaccination anymore? I think I had it when I was young. Did I have it when I was young? I had something in my arm. Probably not because, oh, okay. um, well, you, you may have, but you would have been one of the last groups because smallpox, <laughs> the last actual case of it was in the mid-1970s. And because it was a virus, the moment that no human in the world had the virus, yes. it ceased to exist. And the same thing can happen with something like measles or with polio. In polio, there's three types, polio mm. 1, polio 2, polio 3. Polio two no longer exists on the face of this planet. Really? Yeah, go yeah. human. Well done, us. That's good. Yeah, so, <laughs> so taking it back to bacteria and antibiotics, if you mm. have a bacteria, imagine a coffee cup full of bacteria. Mm. Now, the, the normal You've seen my kitchen, couple. obviously, Dave. That's, uh, that's, um, yeah, I can well, imagine. Well, actually, as a teenager, I grew a mold in a coffee cup, which I named George. And when I went, oh my god! I, no, seriously, it's what I call my moldy cup too. That's really weird. I kept it under my bed, and then my mother found it. I didn't. I came home one day, and she murdered George, and I was inconsolable for six seconds. And that was, yeah. But I, I was, I was a flippant child. Do you guys share the same mother? Is that how that worked out? This is really weird. They called it George. I was like, holy crap. Anyway. Yeah, that's the weird well, bit. Oh, yeah, shut up, you. Well, my sister lives in Brisbane, so she may have had a change. Shona, is that you? Uh, <laughs> I have a very deep voice. Now. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to tell you, Dave, but I've been leading a double life. Excellent. So, so we're with this cup full of bacteria, the fittest, the, mo- the normalest bacteria will probably make up most of it. So it might be 90%, it might be 80%, but then you'll have all these other slightly different strains which are just sort of holding on. Mm. Now, if you introduce an antibiotic, say, amoxyl, 
one of the most common penicillin type antibiotic. Mm. It will kill the most common bacteria because that's what it's designed to do. And suddenly, you've, your cup of bacteria, 70 or 80% of it, the bacteria are dead. Yes. So do you think that the cup will stay empty or do you think, as you're talking about the bath, the bacteria will grow up. It would just, yeah, yeah. So even so, all, so, so all the even the weaker ones just hanging on. If they if they weren't affected by the antibiotics, then of course they can take over because they have a selective advantage yeah, now. Because they're ah. yeah, and it's the same with the the flu. With the flu, because it has to go from person to person. Now the flu can actually live outside of humans, um, ah, so it's, it's not right. quite as simple. Mm. But if you, if you give the flu and everyone gets around and everyone gets the immunization or they get the flu, mm. the next year most people are actually protected against that strain. So it's not going to be the one that everyone catches because it's yeah. it's the, the immunization and the fact that people have caught it. They that's actually like a natural immunization, mm. but obviously you get sick for a week or two. Yeah. Then another strain will suddenly be fitter. It will have a selective advantage because the antibodies that tackle the first strain don't work on it. Yes. Can I, can I give an analogy? So it'd be like as if right now, like Dan and I in a room recording together, and suddenly I got my Cosmos magazine, which Dan just wants to read, and it opened up and it was like full of poison. I would die. Even though I am the fitter, smarter, sexier human being, I would drop dead. And Dan, being the hanger-on on the side, he'd get to pass on his genes to the next generation because I was just too... I just touched something that he never touched. My, my non-magazine yes. opening genes. That's right. You're, my, that's right. My, my, my not interested in reading about knowledge genes. Yeah, that's the one. That's it. You'd be saved. Your own stupidity would actually save you. This is, a, this is, this is bad <laughs> for the human race. Maybe. We call that America. <laughs> oh, we apologize to our American listeners. There you go. <laughs> so, but not our Canadian ones. No, I don't hold Canadian. with them. Right. So, just, so they have a selective advantage so, so they can continue passing on their genes to the next generation. And unlike us, who have to you know, wait until we're like 18 or 16 or 14 or 12 or how old kids are having babies nowadays, bacteria do it really, really, really just quickly. backwards through your dating life. <laughs> hey. Yeah, so I mean, if, if you're looking at a human, if you, if you were to ballpark it in Australia, the average generation is about 25 years. Right, okay. So, so you know, and it's, it's probably getting a bit longer now, but 25 years for, for a HIV virus, if you infect a cell within 24 hours, You'll you'll have heaps more virus, mm. and 24 hours after that, they will have infected other cells, and so mm. you you can imagine that their lifespan is is one day. Yes. So they have oh. 365 generations in a year. Oh my goodness! So for us to do 365 generations, does someone want to do the maths? That's um 25 times 365. Go, Dan. Huh? <laughs> Dan, I, uh, I'm going to now grab my calculator because that's what we do nowadays. That's what we. Oh, hang on. It's about eight. I reckon it's about 9,000 9, 9, years. I'm going to... Yeah, I'm gonna, about 8,600, I think you'll find. Five times 25, and that's 9,125. Oh, there you go. Nicely yeah. done. You're looking at nearly 10,000 years of human evolution. You yes. think of where we came from. That was well before the Egyptians built the pyramids. Yes, yeah. And a virus can do that by, was it, the 25th of October next year. That's Yeah, that's not good. That's really, really bad. So they could, what you're saying is if we don't stop them, they're going to build a pyramid on us. This is not good. This is a new thing that's come out. They're going to have little spaceships around my head. I don't like this. This is not good. That's not what you're saying at all, you're is it? You're being facetious, aren't you? <laughs> you're being facetious to our guests. I am, I am slightly. I apologize. <laughs> it's a nice image, though. Come on. So I'm very sorry, Greg. You've, uh, you've got AIDS. Oh, that explains the, uh, the space elevator coming out of my nipple. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> 
that, that does lead on to my perfect. I, I have a. Uh, <laughs> I, I do a lot of investigations into things like alternative medicine, and, and a lot of it's the placebo effect. So my mm. theory is that when somebody gets a diagnosis of, of HIV AIDS or mm. prostate cancer or, or one of those really bad things, mm. you give them a Ferrari, right? Um, because if it's that serious, they've got a lifespan of one year, and mm. then oh. you obviously get the Ferrari back. But for that year, they feel really awesome. Because oh, they've got a Ferrari. I see. So we should basically people who are terminal. We should basically be really, really nice to them. Yeah, well, that makes. Look, let's. That's. We should just do it anyway. Is this a new this, this is not, a, You're dying. Will you? Well, I still hate you. So and shut up and take get the out. Bins out. <laughs> that's um. Yeah, I mean, but with Ferraris. We with now with Ferraris. That's um. I can see what you're saying there, but I'm hoping. I like to think the dance the negative against humans, and I'm actually kind of pro humanity. So I, I like to. I'd like to hope that if I got some terrible, incurable, and fatal disease that was going to kill me in a year i would like to think people be nicer to me now the way dan's looking at me right now i don't think it's going to happen <laughs> but um well, I, I couldn't hold any more resentment towards you <laughs> in this moment it'd be difficult uh but yeah i hope people be nice but i know what you're saying it's, it's it would be good to be nicer to people who need help I've, I've lost track of what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. got obsessed by Ferrari, so I'm, I'm zoning <laughs> off thinking about a Scuderia. I'm more so, of a, uh, if you said Bugatti, Bugatti Veyron, I'd be all over it like a like a like a happy stink. So standard, you... standard or sport? Oh well, <laughs> now we're talking. I, I look, I would slum it with the standard. I know that. So four four hundred seven kilometers an hour is enough for you. That's enough for me. I look, I I am a man, but I am a man who knows his limits. And at that point, my face will be peeling off, and and I'll be something like five liters of petrol in in, in like twenty minutes. So I can't afford it. So if, if you honest. think you're getting that car back at the end of the year, you've got another thing coming because that man is not dying of uh, AIDS. He's dying of car collision. <laughs> I'm going to drive it into something very, very fast because I'm not that good a driver. I admit. <laughs> um, okay, so we're talking about being nicer to people. No, 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 the viruses. Let's get back oh, to the viruses. Oh, viruses. Sorry, I was dropping sideways um, there. Sorry. Actually, uh, you were talking about the flu virus needing to get it every year because it mutates so quickly. What about something like measles and mumps? Because I only got that once when I was a kid. So am I Im- immunised against that forever? Is that not evolving as quickly? I'll speak about this generally and I'll try and address stress some of them specifically. So with a vaccination, vaccines can actually be a whole variety of different things. Like the, the whooping cough vaccine, which is obviously incredibly important at the moment, mm. used mm, to yes. have in the early 80s when I got... it used to, They used to sort of crush up the bacteria and had about 300 parts of 3,000 different proteins in it. Goodness. Now, because there were some side effects with that, people would get very sore and things like that. So they reduced it. So it's now got three to five proteins. No. Oh. So the problem is after 20 years, it's not quite as effective. So it lasts for, I've heard numbers from five to eight years, and that's why anybody who hasn't had one in the last five to eight years should get one of the uh, the DTAP, which covers you for diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, or mm. whooping cough. Mm. Um, and, I mean, it's also important because up in Brisbane, you actually had a, a young lady die a year or two ago of, of diphtheria. Yeah. And she was 22, and she was unvaccinated. Yes. So so these sorts of things, it's, it's, it's a needle every five or eight years. Realistically, you go to the dentist 16 times in that Yes. Well, most of us go to the dentist 16 times in that period. Mm. So that's, that's sort of that one. That's why I always mention that because that's really important to get a booster. With 
measles. It's a little grayer. It's not my exact area, but it's but, generally... Sorry, Dave, if, before you go on, I just want to point out just what you're saying before, but the pertussis. Um, Dan's brother just had a child, or well, his partner just had a child anyway. And I can't visit this child because he, I haven't had that booster shot. So I have not had the pertussis booster. I had it a long time ago, but not in the last 10 years. And he went, and his father, Steve, very, very cleverly went, Greg, I, I'm sorry, you can, I don't want you to come around to the house. I was like, that's sad, but awesome. Because he's like, no, I want to protect my kid. And you didn't want it to be protected. So I was like, I've been put in my place. So, uh, I'm, yes, <laughs> so I'm missing out on seeing a nice little baby because I, I just wouldn't get it. So it's very important to get it just for, just for the emotional reasons, if not just for saving babies' lives. There you go. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I, we have our first child due on the 13th of November. So uh, we're, we're quite lucky that everyone around us has, we've got nephews and nieces. So everyone around us has the, had the, the vaccine in the last couple of years. So we don't have any of those issues. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. So, so with measles, is I, I'm not a medical doctor. I like to really stress that. Mm. So, the exact wording I'll be trying to keep it quite general is that if you've had, I think it's after 1965, if you haven't had sort of the the three dose of the MMR, mm. you should just go and speak to your doctor, and they'll chat to you. And I mean, you've just had a case of measles at Dreamworld, wasn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's um, that's a pretty <sighs> nightmarish. But the, the thing, I was speaking to someone the other day, and that's the second biggest nightmare. The biggest nightmare is actually happening at the moment in Byron Bay where they've actually had cases of measles there because it's madness. in Mullumbimby, it's only 46% are actually immunised. Yeah, yeah. What? And yeah. What? <laughs> 46%? Can I just point out, Dan, I heard that. I heard that through the mic, through Dave's speakers and back into my ears. That's how loud that was. Maybe I said it three times rapidly. <laughs> 46%? It's madness. I, I know. I just, I've been, re I, I know. It's not good. No. And, and if you look at it, there's sort of, with measles, measles is incredibly infectious. If you, mm. you go to 100 people that have not had a vaccine or not been exposed to measles, it will infect 86 of them. So eighty six percent will get infected and of that eighty six they'll get measles obviously and if you have five hundred people, I think it's one or two will end up with encephalitis or immunized uh, uh, inflammation of the brain. So, uh, <laughs> why? so to get five hundred people, you only need about you know, if you get that to happen one or two times, you only need 600 people to be infected. Yeah. 600 people is not that many. We, this podcast pushes for herd immunity and we push for vaccines all the time. It's one of our things. I always think that it's sort of the victim of its own success almost because no one sees this crazy crap anymore in the first world anyway, like Australia, because we've actually been vaccinating pretty well. And, and my parents' generation brought me up to be vaccinated and they did all the right things. But all it's going to take, and I don't wish this on anyone, but I mean, I read I Can Jump Puddles, <laughs> which is the kid with polio, and I just keep thinking, all it's going to take is one horrific, obvious disease to hit a couple of people, and it will be like, holy crap, vaccination's important. And I keep going, let's dodge that bullet. Let's, let's stop ruining so many children's lives and just jump to the part where we do the right thing. It's not going to work till it hits a celebrity. Well, that's right, yeah, like Johnny yeah. Depp's kid gets polio or something. I just, yeah. it's so frustrating. And, I, and maybe that's, that's maybe, happening. Uh, yeah, that's I, happening this year in in Wales they had an outbreak in Swansea and they actually had a 25 year old father die. So a 25 year old guy died. He wasn't vaccinated because he'd not been vaccinated after the first scare in '98, mm. and he he died. And they had of measles lining up of measles. Yes, right. 
we had people lining up around the block at nine o'clock at night to get their vaccinations. Good, um, good. I think I should probably say here, in, just so that your listeners are very aware of where I stand on, mm. I'm actually an administrator on a, uh, a Facebook page called Stop the AVN, right. uh, which <laughs> campaigns to try to combat misinformation about mm. uh, vaccines. So yes, good. if anyone's wondering, we, we try and give information about vaccines, but mm. we're obviously a Facebook group. There are certainly doctors and scientists, but we point people towards things like immuniseaustralia.gov.au. If, if you've heard something weird about vaccines, mm. pop over. Uh, we're just at Stop the AVN, and we, we can generally, there's not too much we haven't actually heard of. Excellent. So hopefully we'll be able to give you some information. And, yeah, don't take our word for it. We'll send you to people who do all this sort of stuff professionally. That sounds fantastic. I love the fact you said don't take our word for it. We'll send you through the right information. That's that's what this podcast is all about because we know nothing. Yes. We, we always try and send it to the right people. Our, our catchphrase. That's don't right. take our word <laughs> for it. <laughs> we'll send you to the right people. I had a very scary experience. I, I teach children and, and this little six-year-old kid. Uh, oh, no, I mentioned the Hendra virus and the vaccination for that. And and just in passing, something that, that my job had worked with. And this kid went, my little brother had a terrible disease and it was from a vaccination. And I was just looking at him going, uh-huh. And it was that moment of how do you tell a little kid who's six that he's wrong? Because that's what his mother's been, your father's been yelling in his ear since he was born. So you're like, ah. But it was just that terrible moment of, oh, no, this little kid needs to be put right and I don't know how to do it. And, and do I have the duty of care, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, it's so horrible. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the sort of thing, like, I'm a, I'm a fairly brash sort of guy and I, I sort of I started, I got involved with this about four or five years ago and because as a scientist, I like I worked on HIV for five years and when I heard about AIDS denialist, I mean, this is some guy in a, a shed and, and mm. when I actually found out about it. I was just astounded at sort of the widespread and that sort of got me involved in the vaccination stuff and mm. I was so incensed with some of the information about the, the HPV vaccine, so the, mm. the, the, the cervical papillary. cancer vaccine. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. yeah. So I actually wrote a paper earlier this year uh, in my free time and I met a an epidemiologist from South Australia and a guy who's a data modeler but has worked on cancer in Wollongong, mm. uh, who I've still never met to this day. I met them on Facebook mm. and we wrote this paper and I think the last time I checked it, it got to an audience of 1.3 million on social media. Oh, fantastic. So and it was just about answering questions. So I was like, does it stop cancer? Does yeah. it stop the virus? Mm. Is it safe? Mm. I was very excited. In fact, I was listening to radio today, and of course, boys are being given it now as well, and uh, like as of 15 years of age, I think. So the, uh, the vaccine. So it's because they're pointing out it's not the concept of slut shaming. It's like you can't give it to my daughter because she's virginal and pure, and you can't possibly give her a sex vaccine. And it was like, oh my god, it's this kind of weird idea. Your child is going to grow up and have sex one day. It's probably going to happen. It's no point putting your head in the bloody sand. And then of course they gave it to the boys and think, but the boys can't get it. And you go. Who are the boys having sex with? Well, not all of them, 10%, probably not. But the, the other 90% are actually having sex with the girls at some point. And would, I just, we have to would, stop pretending. Would that anyway. protect us from the <laughs> esophagus cancer? From the, uh, okay, it's worse than that. It's uh, mouth and esophagus, I mm. think they're about 30%. Uh, penile cancer, I think it's about 90%. Mm. Anus mm. cancer, about 40%. Uh, for vagina and vulva, it's, it's very high, and cervical cancer is over 99%. So pretty wow. much any wet spot you can have fun with, <laughs> HPV can give you cancer. And, there, and you there is no good cancer, but no. if there was one that I would less like to get, I reckon that's pretty much 
almost penis cancer? Live. Yeah, no, yeah. that's right up the top of my list that's as right. well. The, the tippy yeah. list. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, so HPV. So yeah, it's something it's something you really don't want to get. It's, it's um yeah. It, it, I don't understand why. Well, I do understand now, it, but anyway, viruses uh, aren't uh, all bad news, though, are they? It's not viruses aren't all evil. Murder can, machines. We can use They're murder machines. Can they want to murder you. Sorry. We we can use viruses <laughs> for good, can we not? Yeah, so I, I guess that comes around to what I do for a living. As I said, I've moved into neuroscience and I'm a virologist and people at home are kind of probably, if they're even thinking about it, going, okay, I don't see you study virus of the brain. Um, that's not what I do. If you think about the brain, like we, we have a brain. Oh, how meta. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Now I'm thinking about Dan's brain thinking about itself. What is that? That's, we just remove. Hey, stop. The, the nice man's trying to tell us things. Back to what you're saying, Dave. <laughs> and we're... <laughs> and um, so if you have a look at the mat, and, and we'll just talk about the rat brain. If you look at a 15-year-old atlas of the rat brain, like we used to have them, they were books that showed us which roads they are. In Melbourne, it's called the Melways. Mm-hmm. I, I guess you might have had the Bruiseways or whatever it is. Well, we have um, a Rapidex. We have a Rapidex, that's right, yeah. Excellent. The Brisbane Rapidex. So if you look at it 15 years ago, the brain, the rat brain had 400 different regions. Mm. Now... 15 years later, the most recent edition has over a 1,000. Now, our brains haven't actually developed that much. We're just identifying different They're going to take over the world. These super rats will destroy everything. Okay, I'm okay. I'm back again. Phew. Again, we call that NRL. When you look, want to understand what a particular area of the brain does, the sort of the technology for understanding it, a lot of it's really old. You can either cut it out mm. and then go, oh, if we cut that out, what happens? <laughs> And you can do that a variety for different reasons. The, rat, or you can the s- rat lost the ability to play the piano. It's a very... Every time you speak, I, know. I hear him sighing. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can't hear it. I'm sorry. I'll be quiet. I'll be good. Go on, Dave. <laughs> Everyone knows rats don't play pianos. They play guitars. <laughs> <laughs> That's why rat, rat bands were only popular in the 80s. See, he's egging me on. I can't <laughs> help it. Where do you think they got the flock of seagulls haircut from? Rat ears. <laughs> right. Now, no. I like the idea of Dave and I having a moment, and Dan's the one being all kind of, oh, pooty pooty. <sighs> all right, so, so if you want to do it, the other classical way is a drug or a pharmaceutical in there and sort of, you know, it can block a receptor, it mm. can activate uh, the cells, and, and that's good. But as anyone who's ever had a hangover will know, once you take that paracetamol tablet, four hours later you need another paracetamol tablet. Mm. And so if you're putting pharmacological agents into the brain, you have to do it fairly regularly. And what I'm interested in, I, I've actually studied anxiety mm. and I want to understand how our brain processes it. And, and particularly when you're anxious, your blood pressure goes up, your mm. heart rate goes up, and that sort of low-level anxiety and that, that increase in your, your blood pressure and your heart rate contributes. It's, it's one of the major contributors to your, your chance of having a stroke or heart disease or, or any of those sort of cardiovascular conditions. Mm. So I, I want to look at areas of the brain. So the way we can actually do it is if, if you imagine an area of the brain is sort of like a fruitcake. Right. <laughs> yep, got it. Got yep. it. We're, we're there. So the first thing we can do is we can obviously cut out part of the fruitcake. Sure. And, and that's okay, but it's, it's no longer really a fruitcake. We, we can't really understand what's happening with a fruitcake. So with the viral vector, mm. we can inject it and it can not only just, it can infect all the fruitcake, it won't affect any of the other cakes around it. Mm. But then what we can also do is we can use a virus that not only targets a specific area of the brain, it can target a specific type of cell. So we can put a virus into a fruitcake and it will only affect the cherries. Oh, right. Sweet. Or it will only, it will only affect the the, gra- the the dates or yeah. it will only affect the flower 
Sure. And even more than that, we can do that. So if you imagine brains, we've got 100 billion cells in our brain, mm. and that's not actually ridiculously more than a, a lot of other brains. Mm. What makes our brains spectacular is the connectivity. The, each, each cell interacts with so many others, and, and it's that connectivity that is, is almost unique. Mm. And think of a map of Australia now. If I inject the, the virus into Melbourne, yeah, um, and I only no want to look place. at the cells. To, yeah, well, it's where I'm sitting at the moment, and uh, <laughs> I, I want some Queensland weather because it's pretty woeful down here at the moment. It's it's, it's, it's hot and sticky up here, so you can but it's it. not on fire. It's, it isn't so... on fire. That's New South Wales, so we're all yeah. a bit better than that, I suppose. And back. <laughs> so if you inject the virus in Melbourne. It will obviously will infect Melbourne. And just say mm. you, you're looking at transport, it will only infect trucks. You can not only have a virus that will only affect trucks in Melbourne, it will only affect trucks that drive to Brisbane. So the trucks that drive to Adelaide won't be affected. Wow. wow. So you can actually tease out groups of cells as small as maybe 20 or 30 out of this 100 billion and understand how they function. You can wow. turn these cells on or turn them off at will. But how do they, and you, how do they differ? How would... How would those cells differ to the ones that truck anywhere else? Well, what you do, the technique, would be you put one virus into Melbourne, and you put another virus into Brisbane, and you make one of them only affect trucks. So only when you've got both viruses are your trucks affected. Oh, oh wow. wow. That's right. That's very clever. That's, that's some good thinking there. So that's oh. very technical, and I, I won't bore you anymore but it just gives you an idea of some of the possibilities that's not boring that dave that is not boring there's nothing boring about what you just said <laughs> if people if, if the audience think that's boring they are listening to the wrong podcast <laughs> just pointing that out there yeah so these technologies and the rate at which we're moving with them is phenomenal and it allows us to ask questions that weren't possible five even ten years ago and this is what i find really exciting about because i this is what i do i design and create and then use these viruses and a lot of them they're, they're difficult to make because you're doing things that have never been done before mm. and you don't know can be done mm. and a lot of the stuff i do i'm sort of i'm certainly getting a lot of help from a lot of people in australia all sort of sort of slightly twisting something that's been done elsewhere I, i'm certainly not one of the the world leaders but i like to think that i'm starting to sort of carve my own little that's little awesome. niche in terms of what what these can do and and how they can do it and the thing that makes it possible is that i work in a fantastic lab at the flurry called the peptide neurobiology lab and, and our focus is a particular protein called relaxin three mm. and I've, I've got some amazing scientists around me my, my boss andrew gunlark sherry Marr and craig smith are the other sort of two senior postdocs of me and and their knowledge of animal behavior and, and the brain is phenomenal so i can waltz in with my virus and they can sort of really really flog and utilize it to do incredible things so i have a question then see i'm i'm colorblind and yep. I don't like want a third of the Caucasian male population. That's that, yes, and I don't want to be colorblind anymore. And yep. and I've been sort of reading a few things where they're saying that this might be something that we can fix. And what you're talking about is sending in a virus to change cells. Now that yep. means that can you cure my colorblindness? I'm not sure about your colorblindness, but there's a, a video available on the web that was actually done by GE where they're using viral vectors. They took a girl who had leukemia for i think it was in the second remission uh second it had come back for the second time and, and she was she was i think about eight or ten uh emeramily and she was dying 
So they took some of her cells and they used a viral vector to turn her immune cells into like super killer T cells uh-huh. and then inject them back into her body. <laughs> and the viral vector, which was based on HIV, allowed her cells to kill the cancer. Wow. So if you can she do also that... She cars now. <laughs> possibly. But the point is her cancer's gone yes. into remission, whereas when they gave it to her, they, they thought she was sort of days or, or at most weeks away from death. Wow. So, so that, I that, figure that... if they could do that, they can probably have a batch of colour blindness. It's oh. probably just not high on their, uh, <laughs> their list at the moment. Fair They're enough. Curing cancer. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want... Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I've been put back in my box. I understand. I'll just go and stare at that really grey wall over there that'd be perfectly fine that's that's a that's a bright red wall oh son of a (laughs) well the great thing about colorblindness is there's nothing great about colorblindness well the thing is it's so accepted now when i run a presentation i actually have to we all the scientific papers have changed so they used to a lot of cells used to be red and green they've actually (laughs) changed it so they now make it magenta because well scientists tend to be caucasian Yes. Males, there's, there's a disproportionate <laughs> amount, so a lot of them are colorblind. So all your papers that you see in science are now got magenta and green, so that people who are colorblind can see the difference. <laughs> We're taking over the world one color at a time. <laughs> yeah, but you're only going to get so far. Aren't that's, you? that's true, and that's just where we stuff to stop. That's true. <laughs> damn it. So you no, can't we're... cure Greg's colorblindness, but you can at least make him less depressed about being colorblind. Ooh. Oh, that was smooth. That was that was seamless. Oh, oh, yes. Thank you, Dave. You just mentioned the segue. Dan hates it when people mention segues. Oh, and I wasn't, I was being good. Notice then, Dan, I didn't mention it and I didn't tell Dave at all. He did it on his own. I really like you, Dave. That's wonderful. Thank you. If you draw attention to the segue, you ruin the benefits of an excellent segue. Oh, I love it. That was, that was. I gave you a segue earlier and you didn't take it. So, to be honest with you, this is just sour grapes on my part. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. uh... Depression something, it's, Obviously, it's neurochemical. A lot of it is it's you know in our brains. You know, the whole black dog kind of stuff. Is that something that that can be researched and fixed with viruses, or is it something else? I will sidestep this question partially in terms of like I study anxiety now. Mm. A lot of people view anxiety and depression as the same thing, and they are actually different, but it's very similar. And and where where one ends and the other begins is is different. I when I look at anxiety, I'm you know you, you're talking about things as severe as post traumatic stress disorder. Mm, you're talking right. about phobias, and, and fear is another thing that I study. And so if you're looking at at animals or at people with with anxiety disorders, you can tell from their brain because their brains are, are chemically different. When you're depressed, it's very similar. There is chemical differences. Right. So with, with anxiety, one of the things that happens is you tend to get more um, free radicals in your brain. You probably would know free radicals as the way your body gets rid of them is antioxidants. Antioxidants, yeah, that's right. I was never too sure how much is truth in that and how much is just is like bunkum because it's always like, drink this soft drink or drink this orange juice and you'll kill all the free radicals. And you're like, oh, really? Oh, no, no, it, that part is true. But you, the other thing you always think about is someone goes, oh, we'll get rid of free radicals. You go, well, why does my body have free radicals? Mm. And they're actually incredibly important for, A, they tell your cells what to do. They're part of the signaling mechanisms. And the other thing is they're part of your immune system. These free radicals like damage proteins, and they're designed to damage proteins of bacteria and things that are trying to attack you. Right, yeah. They're like one part of your immune system. Your body knows better than you. It's like everything else. It's like cancer. It's, It's like with most things, hay fever, it's... You want an immune response for hay fever, but you don't want too much. That's why I always laugh when they go, boost your immune system. It's kind of going, no, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah, yeah. Because that's... It's that, all, 
Yeah, if, you, if your immune system starts attacking healthy cells, that's bad. Bad, exactly. bad, bad. <laughs> and so in terms of antioxidants, like I've read a lot of stuff about it because I'm quite interested in that sort of area of oh, eat antioxidants. My favourite is eat chlorophyll because chlorophyll <laughs> turns, turns sunlight into energy. So mm-hmm. if you're eating chlorophyll, How's it going to work in your gut unless you cut a sunlight? <laughs> I had, I, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Uh, girl Clumsy came home with, with a bottle of chlorophyll and she was like just taking spoonfuls of it. And I let her get away with it for a, a, probably about a week because, you know, you don't want to just attack your partner. And I just sat there staring at her. And then she's like, okay, what, what's with the chlorophyll? Like seriously. And she went, oh, all this blah, 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 blah. And she's a really level-headed person. Uh, it needs sunlight to work. And then she went... Son of a... <laughs> put it away. And he went, went back in the cupboard. That's what I had to say. And I walked out of the room going, my job here is done. Couldn't, couldn't you just leave it in the sunlight and then a week later just drink a bottle of energy? <laughs> yes, that's how trees work. That's how, that's, that's how it all works. That's exactly right. It's, it's a yeah, lot... So- and it's expensive too. Anyway... Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, there are, there are certain supplements. There's, I think there's like four or five that are the supplements that the average person, there's obviously extreme versions, will we'll probably need. Like my wife has been taking folate while uh, pregnant, and then uh, a lot of women have to take sort of iron or B12 because they're, they're low on those, mm. um, particularly people who are vegetarians. There's, there's a few others, but I think it's less than half a dozen. So most of those supplements are just a really expensive way of changing your wee. That's but my wife often took a, a vitamin C tablet as and she goes, it's the placebo effect. I mm. take this for the placebo effect and I like the orangey flavor. That's, oh, that's always nice. I can admit, you do have to be careful though. I had a girlfriend once and uh, she tells, told a wonderful story how her mother had, when she was pregnant with her, had lost her teeth because she hadn't got enough calcium and her bones were weak and osteoporosis and all that stuff. And so her body went, the baby needs calcium. Get calcium from everywhere and her teeth just went clang and, and her bones went and it became chalky and horrible so that was like and no one went well she didn't go to a doctor so it was like eat more calcium anyway uh it was it's one of those you've got to eat the right things but if you've got a, the right diet you shouldn't need to worry about it but i'm not going to talk about pregnancy because that scares me <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing. And then, like, they test women for calcium for exactly mm. that reason. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you want to stay healthy, it's the same advice your doctor's been giving for my entire lifespan. It's like, stop smoking, drink a little less alcohol, eat healthy, eat a healthy diet, mainly plants, mm-hmm. do a bit of exercise, and try and reduce your stress. Yeah, that's right. As you go, run, <laughs> run from everything. That's how it is. <laughs> Running. We're That's not going to reduce your stress right. if you're telling yourself to run, run from everything. Run! No. Reduce, your so- reduce your stress! Run from stress! <laughs> and so going back to stress, what I study is emotional stress. Oh, okay. Because obviously physical stress, if, you, if you're stressed from running a marathon, do you know how you stop that? Stop running the marathon. Yeah, you sit down. Yeah. Or oh, you run away from it? marathons. <laughs> <laughs> At least 42 k's from the marathon. Oh, wait. Damn it. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, floor my plan. So um, you're right, though. Emotional stress is what, what gets us all the time. You're always worried about your job and your dog and your dog's job. And what your just, podcast, what your partner pod- is thinking about you. Yeah, that's right. All the time, judging with their eyes, constantly. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give people an idea of some of the emotional stress and some of the things that I look for in animals. You can look for in humans. And this is one of my favorite things to do. I, I sit on people say they're people watchers. I'm really a people watcher, and I do it with a little bit of a more scientific background now, is that we're animals, some of us more than others. Say, uh, what you're saying there, Dave, is you're creepy, but you're scientifically creepy, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just go with that. Um, it's, it's measurably creepy. creepy. It's not creepy if you're wearing binoculars, is it? 
<laughs> if you're wearing a white lab coat while you do it, then that's, that's fine. That's fine. You just tick yeah, it off. It's, tick. It's fine. Tick. So, so if you think about what I like to call the 13-year-old disco. Mm-hmm. So we've all been there when we're in our, our formative years, and you go to a disco and it would be a big square room and you'd have probably a table with some soft drink and some chips up one end, and all the boys would be on one side and all the girls would be on the other side. And one scientist is out the window with binoculars. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't out the window. Okay, okay. I was hanging Mission Impossible style oh, on the rafters. That's, that's very good. That's, at least that's we cool. have all the best tools. <laughs> um, sometimes we are the tools. But <laughs> Welcome um, to our podcast. <laughs> so you think about it, and, and you put yourself in that place. Now as a 13-year-old boy, mm. you stand around, you surround with your friends, so you're protected by the herd, and then you're looking around a lot, so you're scanning for risk. Mm. After a while, when you feel more confident, what What's the first thing you do? You want food. So a group of you will go over. You'll grab a bite to eat. You'll often go back to the wall. You'll see them eating. Mm-hmm. And they'll scan some more and they'll go, all right, getting food is safe. They'll go and they'll hang out at the food table for a bit. <laughs> then once they've done that and their heads are still moving, they're risk assessing constantly. Their risk is not eagles in this case. It's being embarrassed. Mm. And so they'll do this. And then after a while, the braver ones, the ones want to go out and they're, they're safe, they're fed, but what do you want next? You want a mate. So what they will do is they will go over, often with a couple of them, and then try and, and find a mate of the opposite gender. Right. So, so Fire a blow gun into their neck <laughs> and then you drag them off. No. I was a very lonely child. <laughs> very Just, lonely. No. No, no, you're right. No, that was that was, <laughs> that was wrong. I'm sorry. So, so it gives you an idea, and all of those things are emotional stress. All mm. of them will raise your blood pressure, get your palms sweaty, and, and this is what I'm interested in. So, so going back to you, going back to your brain. So you have all the things that input into your brain. So mm. you have your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears, all those sort of input to your brain. All your soft and, holes. And sort of, What's the, that? The, all the soft holes that you were mentioning before? The soft and wet. Soft and wet holes? I, yes. Those will go back if to your brain as well? If you're getting a lot of information from your penis, that's probably not ideal. Oh. But it does segue into one oh, of my... You sound like my dad. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, um, I actually do a lot of processing with my penis, so <laughs> it's, it's the well, fastest way to... It, I'm just, anyway, moving on, Dave. Don't, just, let, us, don't let us stop you, well, please. Just well, crash no, no, it's to go with this. It's, like, it's, it's one of the things when people say, I hear, heard voices in my head, I go, well, where else were you hearing them? Yeah, so it's... it's um... You know, when you're hearing voices in your small toes, then that's, it's time for that <laughs> white jack, and it's not as a scientist. Oh, you can't look at anyone through the window anymore. It's very sad. Okay, so 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 we've got the risk assessment thing. Everyone's a little bit anxious. So with your brain, you get these inputs, and they go sort of filter down your brain, down your spine, and then they can go to your heart or, or to your limbs and things like that. But what also happens, that's sort of like that's a descending network. Mm. What happens, you also have ascending networks. So other parts of the brain affect those those areas in sort of the top of the brain and they act to modulate it so that they can either increase the response or decrease the response. And in terms of if you're looking at a pharmacological or, or a treatment way, mm. when you're going from the eye down to the heart, you probably don't want to actually stop that procedure because fear and, and, and all those sorts of things are actually really critical. They sort of stop us getting run over and, and yeah. eaten by wolves. Mm. But if you've got something that sort of... You've been to Brisbane then, I see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cars and walls, that's all we've got. It's just shocking. I've only been to Queensland for uh, schoolies many, many years ago. And so, yeah, that's where the wolves come from. That's where the wolves wolves can be found at schoolies. That's some... Yep. We say no more on that topic. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, so these ascending networks, they sort of they, they allow you to modulate the behaviours. And yeah. so in terms of rather than stopping someone feeling fear, which is 
not great. It's like stopping someone sleeping, not great. But if you can actually modulate them, which is which was what our group tries to understand and, and would love to be able to do, that's what I'm using my virus just to do at the moment. And the work that we're doing covers, in our lab alone, we're looking at eating and sleeping disorders, we're looking at addiction, we're looking at stress, we're looking at fear, we're looking at memory and understanding. So are you at the point where you're calming down a lot of rats? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pretty much we're sort of, you know, some of these things we do, the the animals go, yeah, I'm, you know, I know I'm here, but I'm not that bothered. Is the next step humans? It's probably a bit more than the next step. But, yeah, it's this... this They're going to get a very, a very upset aardvark and just, just make it feel very so chill. If I, if I was massively anxious, I'd go <laughs> on to the doctor and I'd get some Valium tablets or something. Do, are you suggesting that... One day in the future, I'll go along to a doctor and they'll give me an injection that just calms me down f- for good. It's a possibility. There's always issues with the whole thing about ethics and stuff. But what happens with, with Valium or Diazepam, it acts on a lot of cells. And so that's why you have side effects. That's why people with mm. depression and anxiety, they have their medications. And it's really difficult to balance them. And I heard someone refer to one of them as coxifloppin. Um, <laughs> so, so there's some pretty bad side effects. <laughs> And, and and that was a woman. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so so if you can target small amounts of cells, like relaxin three is only in a rat brain, which is certainly nowhere near as complex as a human's, but still has millions of cells. There's only four thousand cells that express this relaxin three. Mm. So if you can modulate that, you're going to have less side effects because if you're only affecting four thousand out of say ten million cells, it's not much. Yeah. And with a human, it might be ten thousand out of a hundred billion. Whereas things, oh. anti-valiums act so broadly that they, they have a... I mean, they're still used in hospital when people go into surgery as part of the anaesthetic because they induce drowsiness. Yeah. This is really exciting to me. Uh, I don't know if you've read... There's an author by the name of Ian M. Banks. He, he died recently. And he wrote my favourite novels ever, the culture novels, his science fiction novels. And in that, I won't go into the whole thing, but in that, everyone from the culture, this capital C culture, they actually are, uh, are born with these implanted drug injectors, like biological things. So they can actually switch off things like anxiety or fear when they need to. So they're like, okay, I need to, I need to cross that burning bridge. I don't want to feel fear. They just shut it off and go. And, and then they switch it back on because it's a useful thing to have. And I, that just seems like where we're heading. Like maybe in the future we'll be able to go, I just don't need to be anxious during this exam and just switch the damn thing off and, and then bring it back later and have it come back in in an hour or something. <gasps> Very exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what our bodies do. That's what adrenaline does. Adrenaline, you generally try and conserve your muscle and you, you stop yourself getting injured, but adrenaline, you will lose the fear. It will surge through you. You'll do things that you, people jumping out of the way of cars with babies when they've got broken legs, and, and that's what our bodies can do. And a lot of the stuff we're doing is we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to modulate how things are acting based on how we normally modulate them. It's just maybe changing the timing a little bit. Uh, that's just that's amazing. And so once again, I'm assuming this is 20 years in the future. I not we don't know really yet. It's it's coming, but one day. Yeah, I mean the, the thing is relaxin. So it's it's not mm. relaxin three. It's a very closely related. It has just been given approval last year, and it's actually used in in cardiovascular events. So after a heart attack, they give it in hospitals and. So that, that's already in the oh. clinic, and that's closely related. So we may not be 20 years away. It depends wow. on – we've only known about relaxin 3 for 10 years. We discovered it at the flurry. So mm. we've got this far in 10 years, and, and the, the, the pace of science is just phenomenal. Terrifying? <laughs> yeah, well, pretty the much. The pace of science is terrifying. So if you could speed us up 
on that anxiety injection, <laughs> I'd be much appreciated. So, uh, Dave, I was really fascinated when I first learned about you on Twitter. You were offering people to name a virus. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, sort of, you might have worked out I, I love viral vectors and I, I love what I do, but I'm also really passionate about bringing science to the wider community. I think most people I've interacted with are fascinated by it and are really interested. But I, I grew up in the outer suburbs of Melbourne. Science was books. It was, it was not person and it wasn't a living breathing thing it was, it was like history mm. so i'm really passionate about getting people involved and so i've i've taken this opportunity and we've launched a crowdfunding project this week and it's called name the virus and it's on possible for those of you on social media we have name the virus on facebook and at name the virus one on twitter Excellent. and what we're trying to do is raise this ten thousand dollars which will allow us to make four new viruses and that's a kind of cool and obviously we want people to to get involved obviously we'd love people to pledge we're, we're approaching a thousand dollars now this week and that that's awesome. great but but certainly anything anyone give would be more than welcome and when we're, we're not going to send you home with a set of steak knives so anyone anyone who donates $20 will obviously give you a thank you on our Facebook and our Twitter. But what also you'll get to do is contribute a name because we can name these bad boys anything we want because they're not viruses that will get into the community. They don't cause disease. There are no sort of side effects from them. So you're not going to say 10,000 people wiped out due to Barry today in the western suburbs of Sydney. Right. Um, uh, I've met Barry. That's not so far out of his... I must admit, though, because I, I really want to call a virus smart enough to know better I and then I really do want it to go and wipe out a large number of things because then it'd just be like <laughs> anyway that's just my dark dreams I'm sorry so <laughs> no no, no we're, we're, we're quite comfortable with dark dreams yay you'll take my so, money excellent <laughs> so, so that's what you get for a $20 donation at the other end for two and a half thousand dollars we'll we'll just name it directly if someone donates two and a half thousand dollars it's a company it's a person um, we'll just name a it a podcast so you, mm-hmm. yes excellent Absolutely. You know, it's got to be socially acceptable. Oh, but we've got, a, we've got a few other uh, prizes. So at $50, you'll, you'll obviously get the shout-out, but we'll also send you a postcard with some of the, the images of these viral vectors because I, f- I forgot to mention we always make them glow oh. because it makes us easier to find out what cells we put our viruses into. So a lot of our cells glow green or red. Oh. Um, you won't be able to tell which is which, but that's okay. <laughs> take, take our word for it. That's it. How much then does it cost to get a petri dish of your favourite virus? <laughs> um, why, why don't you have a chat with me off air and uh, away from the, the prying ears of the authorities and we can have a chat. What do these viruses do? Well, this is the thing. We've got this campaign running for, I think, forty another 45 days. And then what we'll do is we'll look at where we are with our research and we'll, we'll see what, what needs to be done. And so I haven't said, oh, we'll make this and this and this because... Also, not everything we do works, but some of these viruses will only express in, a, in relaxin-3 cells, hopefully. Some of them will turn on or turn off particular subtypes of cells. Some of them will stop proteins being made in certain cells. There's a whole variety of things. And, and anyone who donates will actually keep you informed of exactly what we're doing. We'll show up pictures of the cloning, the actual making of the virus. We, we want people to actually feel part of this project. Hmm. And, so you know, maybe I've the name done... will guide you in what the virus does. It's like super for strengthium, you'll be like, well, we better get started on that. Mm, that's right. Well, now, now that you mention it, now our $100 reward is I'll actually, I've got all these computer crowns where, where I design these things. I'll actually design you a virus and I'll send you it as an electronic document and uh, it can express any protein you want. So the link was, I've got one up on our website at the moment, which is the <laughs> Superman virus and it expresses the protein awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> I see. I now want to have the Lex Luthor virus and have, make it express kryptonite. It's uh, very you, important. You don't need to. The virus awesome expressing actually just makes limbs drop off. But it sounds good on paper. <laughs> oh, oh. That's not, that's not nice. Don't say that. This is a really exciting idea. I do like, so it's getting people involved, getting, once again, citizen science, getting them involved, having, having an actual connection to what's going on uh, in, 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 in something that's, let's face it, virus vectors is sort of a little bit removed from everyday, what well, feels a bit removed from everyday reality, but you're trying to get people into it and, and, and get hands-on as much as they can. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, we've, we've certainly got, you know, our $500 award, we have people in and we take them around the virus facility and then, you know, as a bonus, I'll cook them dinner on the fifth floor of our, la- our I lab. I don't know which... if I trust yeah, you. No, I just... <laughs> I've got to make sure you washed your hands. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> in fire. Uh... <laughs> so so the, the whole point is that we get people involved and um, we keep connecting with them and I've been on Twitter for well actually only this year I decided I want, I'd been on Facebook for a while I wanted to go into Twitter so I'm at Mr Hawks M-R-H-A-W-K-E-S and if anyone you know it's fantastic if you can you know put some money into the project if you can't that's fine as well just hit me up if you're interested in it we've got those accounts mm. and I just have people asking me questions about viruses or about vaccines or about anything else, and I'll try and answer them or I'll handball you to somebody who can because I I would much prefer people actually get science or or they've got science questions. As you were talking about the the six-year-old who was Mm. told that their brother or sister got a a disease from the Mm. vaccine, I I don't blame those people. I think that that's that's what people have sort of learnt or they've heard and and that's how they accept it. So Mm. it's like when you go to the doctor, there's always five questions forget to ask them. You know, you probably remember asking why is it swollen and bruised, but other (laughs) other questions you might forget. So yeah, we're we're sort of at the project and also me personally, we're more than happy to answer any questions we can. And yeah, if you can cough up a little bit of money, that's awesome. But looking at how interested people are is like we're uh, the project launched on Monday. Our Twitter accounts at nearly a hundred people, a hundred followers already. Nice. So we, we don't have 100 sponsors, unfortunately, but getting 100 people on our Twitter and keeping up with what we're doing, that to me is actually half of the battle. Brilliant. And in, through Twitter, we've actually got one of our suppliers is giving us a 50% discount on some of our stuff. So, you know, we, oh. we're not going to come out of it penniless, but it, it would be really fantastic if we could hit our goal and we could actually show people that from November 2013, this is how long it takes to do science. Mm. This mm. is what we can find out. And then with our papers, we'll try and make, you know, if someone wants them, like my last paper was on HPV vaccinations. I wrote an article for The Conversation, which is in clear English so everyone can understand what we did. And we'll be doing something similar with any papers we publish from now on. That's brilliant. And I, I wish you all the best on that one. And people should definitely get involved. We'll put links to your Twitter account I mean, that are in the show notes as well. So people, if, if you're listening right now, you can go check out the show notes. It'll all be there for you as well. Thank you very much, Dr. David Hawkes, Dave to his friends, <laughs> uh, for filling us in on the whole kit and caboodle. I, I, Thanks to Dr. David Hawkins. Dave Hawkins. Don't call him David. Still too formal. Still too formal. Okay. I would like to very formally say thank you to Dr. David Hawkins. The D-Meister. The D-Meister. The big D. The big D. for coming on and telling us all about the exciting stuff that we know nothing about. More exciting stuff that we know nothing about. But now I feel I know something more. That viruses 
a shape like a soccer ball. So virology is the most beautiful game. <laughs> so you'll be done with your exams by next weekend. Is that right? Uh, by the next time, yeah, the time the next podcast comes out, I should have finished all my study for the year. Not not forever, just for the year. What about the time that we record next? We're doomed. <laughs> right. Doomed. Right. <laughs> Well, until then, I've been Dan at smartenough.org. And I'm still Greg at smartenough.org. Twitter. Email us. Email us things about stuff that you like, things that you saw out your window maybe. That would be exciting. And other good things like that. You know what I saw out my window the other day? What did you see? What did you see? A gecko skeleton and hundreds of ants all doing science together. That's that's very good. A little bit of biology. Excellent. Yes, yes. Go on to... Go on to iTunes and big us up. Big ups for us. And that's what all the young people say nowadays. And, uh, yeah, definitely. I bet they don't. <laughs> and yes, I know, I know the pulse of the youth. Pipes for everyone. <laughs> and uh, you definitely go and just say what you like about the podcast. And if you have anything to share with us, please share it with us. We always like to know. Yep, we can do it on Twitter, SE2KB, and Facebook, SE2KB. Or go to the forums at smartenough.org. And try and outdo the spam bots, because they're getting numerous and belligerent. <laughs> He's got really expensive cars. Like he's he he loves my car because he's like I love it when my neighbors get nice cars because we're a nice car building. <laughs> so we're like oh. So when I bought my nice car, he was like oh, that's exciting. Oh good, yes. Bring it. Bring we, up the. We should drink port together. Well, no, pretty much. <laughs> Today, Dan really wants to talk about anxiety and depression. And that sort sure. of thing. He really, he's really into that sort of stuff. He's a very anxious person. Yeah, it makes me happy to talk about depression. <laughs> you, you know what you can make out of sour grapes? What's that? Wine. Oh, no. Ah. Ah. Not, no, no, no. Do you have a pop guard? Uh, I do. I have the best pop guard in the world. The best pop guard in the world. There you go. Speaking to my mic, and it's easier to hear. There is no more popping it. It's all so clear. We had no more tech fear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Good, okay.